Proverbs chapter 31. So if you could turn there, that'd be great. Proverbs chapter 31. And we're only going to read verses 25 through 30. So Proverbs chapter 31. And we want to read verses 25 through 30. So why don't we stand for the reading of God's word? This is a course about women, about mothers, wives. And it says, Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for this time here on Mother's Day where we get to ponder the goodness and value of a mother. And Lord, we just ask and pray that you help me to set forth that which you've given me to declare this morning, to share this morning. I ask that you would use it for good in the hearts and minds of all those gathered, that it would cause within each one a desire to press in and to want to serve you more fully in the earth and to be reminded within each of their hearts and minds of your goodness, of your redemption. Father, I just ask and pray that you do that within each of our hearts. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You could be seated. And the title of my sermon this morning is A Redemptive Mother's Day Story. A Redemptive Mother's Day Story. February 5th, 1937 was a cold day in Buffalo, New York. A little light snow had fallen. And in the midst of this city, a young unwed mother, Irene Gerber, gave birth to a daughter. And Irene named the child Louise Ann. Louise Ann Gerber. Irene placed the child in an orphanage, but with the order that the child could not be adopted. Louise Ann was doomed to remain at the orphanage, which was not a nice place. This was during a time when social engineering was taking place prior to World War II. All the orphanage workers were ordered to give the children very little human interaction. This was learned later to be detrimental to the children's development. Some even died due to a lack of human interaction. As Louise Ann grew older at the orphanage, she was force-fed, was not allowed to go outside, and was told that rats were under the floor waiting to bite her so she would stay in her bed. She thought often, I don't like it here. She was routinely taken before a large glass window where, like animals in a zoo, the children were displayed for adults interested in adopting, but Louise Ann was never chosen because of the order she was not to be adopted. She then contracted polio at age four, which resulted in one leg being shorter than her other leg. Louise Ann had an elderly grandfather who loved her, and interposed on her behalf, beseeching family members to take her home and care for her 
A childless couple within the family, Irene's sister named Valerie and her husband George, took Louise Ann from the orphanage shortly after her polio. They brought her to their home in Detroit, Michigan. But though Val and George took Louise Ann into their home, due to her mother abandoning her and the mistreatment she received for years at the orphanage, she suffered from feeling unloved and rejected. Louise did not know God. She was raised in Roman Catholicism where the Lord was made to seem a million miles away. She used to conceive in her mind while at Mass that Satan and Jesus were together snickering at her. It was raw, external, monotonous religion with no internal reality, no relationship with the Lord. She went through her school years wondering what life was all about, ignorant of her purpose for being in the earth, going along with the masses, conforming to what was laid before her. She was in darkness, blind, lost, undiscerning. She often dreamed of getting married, having children, and being happy, having her own family. Such a fantasy, such a hope, consumed her mind as a child and through her teen years. In 1956, she met Michael. They met at Michael's brother's wedding, and Michael liked her and soon told Louise that he loved her. Louise Ann felt this was the first time in all her life that someone truly loved her and truly wanted her. They were married on August 23, 1958. A child, a son, was born to them 10 months later on June 29, 1959. They named him Michael George. Just 13 and a half months later, the second child came, another son, Matthew John. Soon the third child, just another 13 and a half months later, a daughter named Mary Ann. 16 months later after that, another son, Thomas Robert, was born. And finally, two and a half years later, in September of 1965, a fifth and final child, Jeffrey Craig, was born. Four sons and a daughter. Surely, Louise Ann was now happy. Her lifelong desire to marry, have children, and establish her family, her own family, was now realized. But again, Louise was to suffer rejection and disappointment. The marriage was not good. Michael liked to have his time every Friday with what he called his night out with the boys. Michael liked to drink alcohol a lot. He also liked to cheat and was unfaithful to the covenant. Many fights ensued. Stress and bewilderment encased Louise. She was unsure of the situation and unsure of herself. She was not happy. The hope she had longed for to bring her happiness had turned into a phantom. As the marriage deteriorated, Louise sought counselors and shrinks to help her cope. After 13 years of marriage, on Christmas Eve, 1971, Michael left the family. Louise Ann brought her five children into a room to inform them that Dad would never be coming home again. All were devastated. Louise Ann suffered a nervous breakdown from it and was hospitalized for the next four months. Her parents, George and Vale, watched the kids during this time. Louise began to take psych drugs to control her mood swings and help her cope. 
And though Michael paid child support, Louise still had to go to work after being released from the hospital to make enough for the family to survive. She worked menial jobs. She first tried to be a nursing assistant, emptying bedpans at a nursing home, but soon left as the atmosphere there was overwhelmingly depressing. She then took a job as a hall guard in a public high school in Detroit, where fights were routine, where shootings were commonplace. She moved on from there to a map reader at AAA and finally landed a job as a biller at a local hospital, all to provide for her family, her five children. Having been blasted by life yet again, she began to seek fulfillment in other ways, and she tried many things. She tried Silva Mind Control, for example. She also pursued men, hoping to find a good one somewhere. And she went through a phalanx of counselors and shrinks, hoping to find one that could actually help her. These pursuits lasted several years. Finally, in late 1975, Louise Ann heard that her cousin Valerie had made a miraculous recovery from alcoholism. Valerie had so ruined her mind that she had been literally placed in a padded room. Louise Ann, or Annie as she liked to be called, began to seek her out. Finally, Valerie came to Louise Ann's home, and Louise was astounded how she looked like a completely new person since she had last saw her when she was ruined on alcohol. She asked Valerie, who is your counselor? I need to meet him. I have to have him treat me. Valerie did not want to answer her. But Louise Ann was persistent. She was desperate and demanded an answer. After several minutes of a back and forth, Valerie blurted out, It's Jesus, Annie. Jesus is my counselor. He changed my life. Louise was stunned. She looked at Valerie and said, You're kidding, right? Valerie explained how she didn't want to tell Louise it was Jesus because many people thought she was crazy when she told them that. She then went on to explain to Louise how a handful of Christian women had come into her room at the mental hospital, laid hands on her and prayed with her, and that God had restored her mind and changed her life. She told Louise that she was now born again, a term Louise had never heard before. At Valerie's invitation, Louise went to church with her, but was turned off by what she perceived as fanatics. But Louise was desperate. She had tried everything. Nothing had worked. So a month later, she called Valerie and asked to attend again. She went to the church and was powerfully regenerated by the, by the Holy Spirit. She was born again at age 39 on February 5th, 1976. February 5th being the same date of her physical birth was now the date of her spiritual birth. This began an amazing process where four of her five children eventually professed Christ as their Lord and Savior. And even her ex-husband, Michael, came to know the Lord. And he actually prayed with him the final hour of his life as he went to be with the Lord in 2005. Her shorter leg, much to the chagrin of John MacArthur, was miraculously lengthened by the Lord so that it was no longer shorter than the other. She was arrested once for interposing on behalf of the preborn at a local death camp in Detroit. 
And she spent her years telling many about Jesus. Though we may wonder at times in our later years, what was my purpose in being in the earth? We may question, what did I accomplish? Is the world any better? People still suffer. Evil still proliferates. Man's arrogance and rebellion still emanates throughout the earth. A mother with five children who worked menial jobs due to a failed marriage may surely muse on these questions. She may surely wonder of her purpose in being on the earth. But a change was made here. A family, lost, blind, broken, clueless, conforming to the dictates of a rebellious mankind, sitting in darkness, finds from this single mother of five redemption. Redemption. Redemption through Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing how the Lord takes a family drowning in darkness, stumbling through mire, and transforms them? Generations of sin, misery, and destruction, and he stops it all and begins to build in the lives of those family members his thoughts, his actions, his word, his law, his kingdom. This is the goodness of the Lord. This mother need not wonder of her purpose a day longer. This mother, broken in heart, devastated by life, forlorn due to disappointment and rejection, comes to the Lord and all changes. She is radically transformed by Jesus. She then brings this good news to her children. And most of them eventually live for Christ too. He breaks the cycle of generational destruction and begins to build Generational discipleship. This is a redemptive Mother's Day story. This is the story of my mother, Louise Anchuola, who I'm blessed to have here this day at this gathering of the saints to hear this sermon. The title of this sermon in full, by the way, is A Redemptive Mother's Day Story, A Sermon in Honor of My Mother. May Christ be praised. As we began this sermon, I want to end it by reading Proverbs 31, verses 25 through 30. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up, call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Amen. May Christ be praised. Let's stand up, close in a word of prayer.
Father, we thank You for Your redemption. Hallelujah. We thank You, O Lord, that out of destruction and misery, You bring wholeness. You regenerate. You change. Make new creatures. Lord, we just ask and pray that You be glorified through our lives. We pray for any that are here that don't truly know You. We ask, O Lord, that they would come to know You quickly. That they would taste Your love and Your holiness. Lord, we thank You for the work You've done in our homes and our families. The evil that You turned back, that You stopped. And how You begin to build Your kingdom from a long lineage of rebels who kicked against the pricks, who despised Your rule. We thank You, O God. Build within each of us a desire for Your rule. Lord, I just ask and pray that You be with each mom here today and that You would bless her, that Your hand would be upon her, that You would strengthen her, that each one would understand how important they are to those in their family. Lord, we ask and pray that You build each mom up in the faith. We live in a culture which demeans such thinking, that demeans the office of mom, belittles it, sets it off to the side, marginalizes it. Lord, may we have a biblical view and may we look at it properly. May we understand its greatness and its goodness to each of us sitting here today. And we ask these things in Jesus' holy name. May Christ be praised. Amen. This is my mom's last Sunday with us at this time, and um, I take her back tomorrow to Michigan. So if you'd like to give her your greetings before you go, feel free to do so. Yes. Stand up and we'll close in a word of prayer. Father, we ask and pray now that you watch over each of us, keep our hearts hungry for you, desirous of you, use us for your purposes in the earth, be glorified through our lives, be glorified in our homes. May we take to heart and mind those things said there in Proverbs that we read today, O oh God. May we think of the hymns we sung today about serving others. Lord, we just ask and pray that 
you continue to build your kingdom in our lives. That we might be your faithful witnesses in the earth. And we ask these things in Jesus' holy name. May your blessing be upon each home and each mother. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. God bless you. I love you, Matt. Mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> that was truly blessed.